to open your Bibles, if you would. You'll want to have a Bible with you, so grab, they're all around this place, grab one next to you. We'll be in the book of Revelation. We'll be in uh, chapters 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. And now that I have totally scared my son, who at some point will be listening and wondering, why is he covering such turf? You'll see. And uh, we hope indeed uh, as he approaches his birthday, he has a great time. Uh, he will be gone one more week, and so uh, he's being surprised by his lady. And, well, surprised, I guess I just gave that away. Actually, it's, it's already been in the works, and he knows. But, well, he'll accept anything, knowing my son. He, he, he learns value from gifting, so he'll accept anything. Jeff had asked uh, what gifts he would, he would give. So chapter 4. Hmm? Probably not. Uh, that would not be valuing to him, I'm sure. It would be my uh, son-in-law, but not to him. The throne in heaven, chapter 4. We'll begin with that in just a moment. Um, I do not understand, and I have to tell you, this has been a week where I've been in all technology, and every day has been an uphill battle. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong with technology, including today and yesterday, has happened, but God has uh, helped us. We did have an extraordinary day yesterday. We do want to repeat it just for our church. I have to tell you, Church of Christ, and there was every, to every person, I appreciate that everyone communicated. You got back to me and says, well, we can't be there, and why? I just really deeply appreciate that. But we are in a time very much related to the text we're looking at today. We're in a time when we're asking God to give us the biggest overview of the city. It starts with the Seattle City Church. And that's the part that I'm leading and have the privilege of leading. So when you see me talking about those, if you're interested in doing mission, we go to different neighborhoods. This weekend was West Seattle. And then it goes down to our own local missional team. And they're looking at different missions. Not everybody's going to be involved in the same one. We don't anticipate that. But we need over the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days to get the widest possible view and to listen. When I first came here as your pastor, when I was your pastor many years ago, I had an instruction from the Spirit. I was told that this church was about to be shut down, and I was, if, if, uh, if my ministry went like uh, several of the others, it would, it would be it, and they would close these doors. And uh, so um, the Lord gave me instruction. He says, Terry, you're just smart enough and creative enough to really blow things up. <laughs> so I want you to stop being creative in these first. Just, just listen. I will send you everybody you need. I don't want you to even ever ask anybody to come to church. I don't want you to think about evangelism. I will send you the people I intend in that community. You just respond. Are you okay, sir? Thank you. You just respond, and thank you for correcting that. You just respond, would you please, and uh, respond to their needs and where they're at and listen. The most important instruction I ever got from God was that. So Native Americans, I was aware we had already been a part of our community. One woman, a neat grandmother, the uh, architectural uh, type and, and uh, source of spiritual sustenance, Eleonora, uh, had come to a place of renewal in her faith. She had been a Christian uh, as a little girl, and it was renewed as an adult. That's a whole different journey for any Native American who's coming home. Um, but this time, recognizing she didn't have to leave where she'd left from. She was in, in what was called residential schools. The purpose of residential schools, and they went on up through the 70s and finally got stopped, was to, quote, according to the leader of that, to, to kill the Indian and save the man. They were intended to Christianize. 
They were the structures, uh, part of the structures that uh, Glendale talked to us about. And uh, she had gone through that experience and come out the other side. And as a, an older adult, she decided there is an essence there in Christ she wanted to discover and did. So now I had known that my first experience among Native Americans had been a disaster. I'd led a funeral. I had totally been offensive, not in this place. It was years before I came here. And uh, three, months, th three months later, after she was here and had come through this experience, a few months later, her daughter passed away. And uh, that would be happening actually several months later. And I was not known, known but I, I was, had been praying and said, Lord, what in the world? How can I, who am at the heart of your American, uh, possibly uh, minister among Native Americans and many others? And God said, listen. So I went up into the Sisters Organ, was up there for several days on a personal retreat, used to do that quite often. I was the top of, interestingly enough, Mount Washington, at the very top of where the road goes. I'm a lazy white guy, I'm not going to get out and hike, so I was at the top of where the road goes, it was about May, there was still snow up there, uh, and it was intermittent snow, and I noticed as I looked around that there was a fire, places where there would be a fire that, let me illustrate. intermittent between all of that. I thought that was strange. I, I laid against a, a tree, was sitting, I was reading Richard Twiss, uh, a Native American, who essentially says, give us the word and let us, let it grow up in red skin. Let it be uh, our cultural traditions. Don't, uh, don't, tell, don't make us white in order to be follow Jesus. And uh, he was talking about how Native communities have a better sense of the Bible than European communities because we're so ingrained in the Enlightenment. We so, we, we demystify the word. Things like the nature between spirit and land. And we have become so unattuned to that. We don't hear when Jeremiah is saying, for the sake of the land, my people will be taken apart. The land will lay at rest for 70 years until I have atoned for the land and the sins of the people on it. Didn't even have a clue. But I was sitting there reading that text, and suddenly there was a, to my right, I believe, first, about 500 feet up the hill, was a woodpecker that started. About 10 seconds later, to my left, about 500 feet down, a second one started, responding to the first. I thought, that's interesting. And I continued my prayer, and I laid back, put the book down, and I said, oh, Father. And about the time I said, Father, a third woodpecker to my back, east, uh, yeah, east of me, started responding to the other two, and about 10 seconds later, a fourth woodpecker was responding. I was literally surrounded by four woodpeckers talking to one another. I stood up. I, in deep contrition, said, God, forgive me for my arrogance. And I looked up, and there was a plane in silence, big, huge bowling jet, flying over in silence. Then the Lord said, look at the land. This was May 2011. A great wound is coming against your country. But know two things. One, I know how to be inside the wound. I know where to let the fire rage and I know where not to. And for those who have suffered, like someone like Michael uh, Williams, who has lost his son, forgive me. I do not mean that as God directing that. But I know how to let a wound fester and where to stop it. I know how to work through pain and draw people. I will protect your country. Second thing God said, 
I never made America for white people. It was never my intention. It is to be the one land for all peoples. The native peoples are the first hosts. Let's turn to the scripture. We see in chapter 4 something quite interesting taking place. It starts in verse 3. It says, the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. I'm not even sure we know what Carnelian is anymore, but it, was, it, it is obviously this most incredible, and it has a, a rainbow above the throne of this one that is like an emerald made of a rainbow, and we have the Father pictured. Then around the throne is 24 elders. That's salvation history. That's the whole church of God, Jewish and Christian church of God, represented in this 24 elders. And then there is the sea of glass that comes out from the throne. That sea of glass is the original shalom intended for this planet. It is the original well-being intended for this planet. It's God saying, I will make of creation a creation who knows how to live humbly in reconciling ways. I will make a creation who nurture and encourage. The sea of glass has always been God's purpose, to let it flow into the earth. His promise is that it will one day be. And then you see the Spirit, who is the seven spirits you see. That is a reference to the Holy Spirit that is everywhere present to every activity in the universe, between every molecule of the universe, not that the molecules are the Spirit, but present to every person, every tribe, every experience, drawing people to the Creator within the context of their cultures. And then he talks in verse 7, as our pastor talked about, about the four different, one had a human face, one had an ox, one had a lion, I think one had a bear. And it represents all of either the nations of the world or all of creation. All is gathered around this worshiping experience where they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Now go down to chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll and writing on both sides and sealed with the seven seals. And what are the seven seals? The seals are the shalom of God intended, but now being poured out because of our sinfulness when united with us as the wrath of the Lamb. I'll come back to that a little better. But it is the intended purposes of God to live at peace, to be whole, that also are filled with the violence and the arrogance and the power-centric world we're going to get to in chapter 7 because it spills it out a little bit more. But they're God's vision of what God wants to do inside those things. And I wept, John said. There is no one, no one in humanity, if this is what it's about, the sea of glass, there is no one in humanity worthy of opening the scrolls of God's original vision of God's dream, not in this world of chaos, not in this world of the seven writers we're about to get into. In this world, there is nothing of God. Who is worthy? And the one, Roy had said, there is one. He is David's son, the conqueror, but when he looked, John said, I did not see a white horse of a conqueror. I saw a lamb at the center of this heavenly worship. And then we get to chapter 6. In chapter 6, the seals now are being opened. They're broken. Let's look at them. In verses uh, 2, the first seal comes. It's a rider on a white horse. 
and it represents the power structures of the earth at any time. It's the writer who conquers. It's the writer who, but, but the issue there isn't conquering. It's the power structures. It's the subtle ways in which we stay, we make people know that they're of a different class than we are. They don't have quite the same privilege we do. It's the redlining kind of things that go on in our society. I, mean, I heard too when we went to the Native American place this week, two of my friends, White person's bows said that when they looked at the history of their own land that they live in in Ballard, there were inside those written covenants back in the 40s, there was definite covenants that says African Americans, didn't say African Americans, will not own this property. And those were binding on real estate persons going down from generation to generation until confronted by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now think about that. That's the white horse, the power structures of the world that are against people to keep them down. The second one, he said, uh, look at verse 3. He said, come, and it was a horse of red. It was the horse of violence. It was the horse of war. Now these are the seals of God, of God's intended purposes now expressed as the opposite of God's intended purposes. Come back to that. The third is a black horse. The black horse is the sudden economic deprivation across the world, a loss of income. It's happened at periodic times throughout history. It happened during this time of St. John to the, to, the, to the various cities that he was talking about, where a whole city would be wiped out and there would be economic devastation. And the white horse, the Roman government would in those days come in and rebuild and recreate, if a, like in Laodicea. Laodicea, interestingly enough, fell flat, but it was rich enough, it told the emperor, don't come, we don't want your money. We don't want the power structures that come with your money. Next one comes down to verse 7. He says, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, come. I looked and before me was a pale horse, death, sickness. And it says, so much so that 25% of the world's born fall to its victimhood. And then he comes down and he says, And I saw the fifth seal under the altars of those who had been slain. That's the seal of the Jewish and Christian traditions who, because they were on the outside of the story, I'll get to that in a few moments, because they were vulnerable to just live, because they couldn't do this when they entered the market and pay homage to a god, because... They couldn't go to the union parties because those union parties had things going on there in terms of temple prostitution and other things that they could not participate in. So they didn't have economic access because the structures didn't allow them to have economic access if they were going to be who they were called to be. And so that is all those who have suffered, including the thousands upon thousands of early believers who were killed by the Roman government. Interesting side note. When Christianity was outlawed in the Roman Empire, it's not like the Roman Empire would come down on you. There were times of that. This book is in response to one of those times, Nero and or Domitian. We don't know with certainty. I think both are in, the, in my mind because I think it's written late. Both are pregnant inside this story. Certainly the fall of Jerusalem. <clears throat> come back to that in a moment. But all this is taking place, but it doesn't matter because I forgot where I was going. Sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. Now in this... It says power collapses. What it talks about is the sun turned to black like cloth made of goat hair, the whole moon turned to blood rud, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. Late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. 
The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That literally to the early peoples of the earth would have represented Rome and all of its power and all of its, its in-your-face kind of power that was self-evident. They talked about the gods, the stars, the planets, all related to the Roman Caesars. When they heard that, they knew what he was talking about. Rome is going to come under the wrath of the Lamb. Then the kings of the earth and princes, it says, the generals, the rich, the mighty. Do you see how the interpretation is made plain there? They run to the places of the rocks and they hide. I remember your illustration you gave us when you were in Hawaii and thought that the, uh, the nuclear war was about to start and how that imagined. Now let us go to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, <clears throat> we see the beauty of the story. Let me give you a, a couple of illustrations. The 144,000 is again salvation story. One thing you really got to see. If you try to see Revelations as a ticket to seeing the future, if you try to see it as a continuing unfolding story, you will miss the heart of its story. It's a series of camera shots. It's an MTV movie that first focuses on 144,000. What did they hear? They heard all of the saints of Israel, all of the saints of the church. They heard that the complete story of God and those who participated inside that renewing story were present in this worship service in the heavens. Then it says, we start with our text. See, Sean, we can get there. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, tribe. Take that in. Tribes are like 300 people. Tribe, people, and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. Why in the world we ever took in the idea that most people are going to hell? I know not understand. That is not what's happening here. The text here says, untold, you cannot count the numbers of humans that stand inside this worship service. And they say, salvation belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the Lamb. And then finally, the other last thing I want to say is... The church again, the suffering church, the saints who have died, the martyrdom death uh, are, are highlighted. And he says, who are these? He says, you know who they are. They are before the throne because by the Lamb of God and the worthiness of living into the cross. We're going to come to that at the very end. By the Lamb of God and the worthiness of living into the Lamb, they're accepted by God. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It means the covering grace of God enfolds them in and they're considered worthy to enter into this final kingdom of God. This is not on earth. This is in heaven. This is after the restoration of the earth. This is after the thousand years or however long time the earth gets, gets renewed and we come back with Jesus. This is the very end of the picture. And he says, don't give up hope because you are included in that. Now here's how they heard this. Before Genesis, before any of the ancient stories that come out of the near Far East, and out of Europe, out of the tribes of Israel and the Babylonians. The Duwamish tribe and its stories claim that they were on this planet in this place before then. They have apt, incredible descriptions in their stories of what we would call the Ice Age. We know that at 600 AD, they have already dug up one of the longhouses at the time. In the 1850s, Chief Sahalath, Sahalath, I can't do it. Seattle, from which Seattle is named, 
uh, was born of two parents in tribal communities. In this tribal community, your lineage on both sides, the woman and the man's, are critical. His father was of the tribe of the Issaquah Nation. He was chief. His mother and uncle was the chief of the tribe where he lived in Kent, Washington, what we would call Kent, along the Black River, which no longer exists because of our arrogance. And this man could have chosen more, but set his sights on what we would call the Lamb of God. He made peace between his two tribes. When the newcomers started coming in, he made peace. Even when they started hurting his people, he says, no, we will keep the peace. Even when they made a treaty of 1855 and they ceded over to the United States territory, 54,000 acres, most of King County, all of Seattle, he said, and they were supposed to get a reservation, supposed to be part of the federal system of renewal of the tribes. They were denied. Nothing ever happened to this day. In fact, to this day, there is only 600 of the Duwamish tribe. Why? They believe they're much larger. Part of the reason is because many of their cousins claim other Indian tribes so they can be a part of the federal recognition. These 600 have said no. We will not go to your union halls where you're doing things you shouldn't do. We will not claim your structures. We will declare that we were given by the Creator a right that precedes your power. If you never recognize us, we will live at peace. Read their articles. Read their traditions from Seattle, South, and from all of the elders who have followed. It's an amazing story. Many of them are Christian because they understand the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. And so you have a people that a few years ago, back in the 40s, I think, uh, one time the Duwamish spilled into Lake Washington, parts of it, and then out to the sea. Uh, we decided we wanted to combine Lake Washington and what's the lake over by Lake Union? So we did an engineering job through the Corps of Engineers. It happened to destroy the Black River, which was their tribe's lifeline. During from 1855 till 1904, 94 of their longhouses were destroyed and led by a gentleman's name, I'm sad to say, whose last name was Terry. He was one of the founders of the city of Seattle. Seattle had been bequeathed to him and to his neighbors as a place where they could be safe. That is the story. Are they today demanding their rights? No, but they are asking us to pay attention to the history. They're asking us to recognize that there's a wound against the land, a wound against the spirit. The scripture tells us that the Lamb of God covers every human, covers all historic sin, provisionally covers personal sin. But God has chosen, though God is incredibly angry with all that we have done to one another. Our best stories and our worst stories. God sees them all. I'm teaching our kids about, my grandkids about the, uh, uh, the what? Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And Because uh, I don't want them to not grow up with the traditions that I grew up with to understand the amazing place this nation is in many ways. Equally, 
I've got books on Native Americans written for children because I also don't want them to miss the picture of God. The Lamb is God's reconciling presence that says, I forgive it all. I forgive, I approach everyone in a Christ-like or friendly attitude. I have nothing but goodness in my heart for all of creation, and I know every human and the depth of their sin. I have chosen to forgive all of it. The only thing that's not given and the only thing that's provisional is our personal sin because that's a relational issue, and arrogance is at the heart of that issue. The Church of Jesus Christ has gotten one thing wrong. We've got the wrath part right. We've not got the wrath and the lamb. The profound love of God will destroy us if we choose to live into hate, into arrogance, into power structures that we are keenly aware of that keep people in their place. The wrath of the lamb and the people who are most at risk are the people who follow the lamb. We are most aware. So in terms of the provision of God for us, we need to be the ones who are aware. But let me tell you about these early Christians who were listening to this story. What they heard from John is that, yes, we know what power structures are like. We're at the bottom of it. Most of them were slaves. Now as Christians, they were outside of Jerusalem. The temple had fallen. Judaism rejected them. Judaism was the one faith that Rome recognized that you could be and you did not have to go to the market and offer. Christians no longer were under that umbrella. They were no longer of the Shehalish tribe. They now were back into the Duwamish tribe. Whether they wanted to be or not. The wrath of the Lamb isolates all who do not live into love and reconciles everyone who does. It is a costly way, but this is what those believers, those Duwamish Christians heard in this generation. What they heard John saying is, we'll come through all those seals, but we will be with the Lamb as we live into the Lamb, and we are not forgotten. I hope you've heard the word of the Lord for all of us. We have differing responsibilities. We should acknowledge that. God, it is so hard for we who are now in the center of power. And Lord, I, I have no desire to let Putin get away with what he's getting. I, I see what a China lives like when for 40 years, billions were told Millions of women were told, you must abort. One policy. What were the Christians to do? They couldn't. Not unless there were unique circumstances. But they could not go that route, so they would have large families. That meant that they would be the other. What you have declared in Christ is there is no other Lots of unique persons and tribes, all who deserve dignity and worth, whose stories need to be treasured. But when we are in conversation, Lord, let us put away the white horse and instead listen 
to the seals being broken by others who are not so pleased with the white horse. Help us to listen with the body of Jesus Christ. And we will give you praise. We will trust in you for our eternal destiny and for the hope of the renewal of all things on this planet. In Jesus' name we pray.